Welcome to Game Mechanics, a show about tabletop role-playing games from lots of different perspectives. I'm Logan Jenkins. Today, I'm talking to Marx Shepard, an indie TTRPG creator and member of the San Gennaro Co-op, which is an organization that puts out a quarterly games digest collectively created by all its members. When Marx reached out to me, they were quick to point out that the co-op wears its communist mindset and values on its sleeve, and I was interested in finding out how the co-op works together to create these digests every three months and how communism factors in. The conversation was incredibly interesting, and I can't wait to share it with you, so let's just get to it. Marks, welcome. Welcome to the show. Oh, well, thank you for having me here, Logan. It's uh, it's quite an honor to be on your show. I always enjoy going on other people's podcasts. Oh, well, I, I enjoy having you. So that's perfect. That's perfect <laughs> blend. Could you introduce yourself for the listeners? Of course. Absolutely. I'm Mark Shepard. I'm a game design enthusiast and indie promoter slash hustler. <laughs> and among other things, I do project lead work and design work for the San Gennaro Games Co-op, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. Absolutely. Uh, I also run a podcast, um, which is very small, but hopefully gaining a new audience. And Get that plug yeah, in. Do a, What's it called? Yeah, absolutely. That's a Yes Indeed pod. Indeed, spelt as in indie with a D on the end, um, which is a terrible play on words. I like it. And if anyone recognizes the Chrono Trigger reference, then, you know, kudos to you. <laughs> and yeah, I do various other things, including indie promotion on Twitter and a lot of bundle organization and moving into zine publication which is a bit scary so yeah <laughs> that's it's a lot of stuff as with everybody i speak to uh, everybody in indie seems to do about eight different things at once which is um way too much for everybody yeah we all wear a lot of hats <laughs> yeah side hustles to side hustles so yeah. yeah more more side hustles than i've got sides i think so i'm spreading myself oh, wow. thinly. <laughs> i mean don't go too hard <laughs> I'm really, really excited to talk about the co-op, but uh, I do want to get some of the the things I ask everybody out of the way. So, yeah. Firstly, what's your favorite mechanic in any game? I so I thought about this for so long because I knew you were going to ask me, and it it took me ages, and I went between loads of different game mechanics. The one I came back to is the one that I put into every game that I play, and it's the scene framing mechanic from the game Durance by Jason Morningstar of Bully Pulpit Games. Yeah, I've uh, I love Bully Pulpit, and I've seen Durance, but I don't own it yet. Durance is basically Space Australia, and it's a game about prison colonies on alien planets. Oh, it's very cool. Uh, it's also very hard hitting. And the scene framing mechanism basically makes you ask a question which really cannot be ignored, and like that is a fantastic way to put momentum in games. Basically, asking questions like. I wonder what happens if this person is starving and needs to steal food. And you ask an extremely leading question and everybody else in the <laughs> scene has to respond to that. And it's a way of just making the game feel like you're barely holding on to it. Oh, goodness. Which is exactly the feel that they're going for. It's it's really, really good. So I put that in every game that I play now because what better way is there to drive a narrative forward than to make it feel like you're going to lose control of it immediately. <laughs> Oh man, that's good. That okay. So, um, let, check me on my understanding here. It sounds a little bit like there's a list of questions you roll a d twenty in Teens in Space, which is the like one of the sequels to Kids on Bikes. And oh, that's cute. So, yeah, <laughs> not heard of that one. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, Kids on Bikes being like, uh, you know, like a Stephen Kingy sort of 
mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, kids on bikes, and then teens in space being the logical next step. Uh, <laughs> Pretty much, so, yeah. But there's there's a table of questions, and it'll be like, when's the last time? X being X being one of your other players saved your life. And that's a really leading question. Like it, it fills in a lot of gaps on its own and then you have to, yeah, it does. Yeah. Is that, is that the sort of thing that Durance is doing or am I, uh, there is, there are no, there's no question set. This is just the thing that the game instructs you to do is to come up with a question that's relevant to a character. Oh my goodness. To spotlight that character. So you, you're asking a question like, I wonder what happens if X kills somebody or if x has to i've already used steel as an example but it's it's the kind of it's the kind of question where you are putting people in deliberately desperate situations that's incredible so it's like it's almost like a rhetorical question that then everybody knows how their character is going to respond to and that that's how that's how you know you're kind of doing it uh in media res you know you're starting the scene very much as though you know what's going to happen towards the end of it, or it's just happened. And oh, wow. it, yeah. And so it has a rotating GM, which is how it kind of builds up this narrative. So instead of having an overriding theme going through the game, it's the GM who's deciding at every step what's, what's going to happen next. But that step, you know, that person changes throughout, throughout play. So yeah, it's an interesting way to deal with that kind of GMless dilemma of how do we actually get a, a fitting narrative through the story. And I just think it works so well for story games, which are pretty much my favorite kind of role-playing game at the moment. <laughs> Same. Uh, yeah, that's that got me very excited. Like, uh, I mean, I already wanted it because it's Bully Pulpit. And now I'm like, I'm now I'm thinking like, this should definitely be uh, yeah. a very mini season or something. This is oh yeah yeah you should definitely get it it's it's great I think it's a one shot game rather than rather than long term play but there's no reason you could not play it for like a long time except that most of the characters die um it's it's quite violent <laughs> so we we have a pretty short format anyway on very random encounters but uh, okay, we also yeah. in between longer seasons uh we have a short season with a guest uh and that's normally a one shot that only lasts two or three episodes. So cool. Yeah, I think it would work for that. (laughs) It's a great game. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, now let's. uh, What is your favorite game and why? It might be. It's not my favorite game. (laughs) Um, My favorite game. So, again, I thought about this a lot. And the game I always come back to as having the closest experience I've had to sort of the emergent narrative feel that I want from a game is Fate. I just love fate. I think it's brilliant. I like the way that it's so easily hackable. I like the way it's deliberately designed to you, for you to kind of meddle with it and fiddle with it and make it work in the way that you want it to work. And I really like the way that the fate point economy drives a story, especially if you've got a good GM and good players who understand the system. And it's it's just always worked out really well for me, except when it hasn't. And <laughs> it's it's very... It's, it's definitely my favorite system of any of the, you know, sort of generic-ish systems that exist out there. Nice. I found it very difficult to find another game that I like more, with the possible exception of Heart of the Dinicorn's Fall of Magic, which is a wonderful game. Heart of and the Din? Heart of the Dinicorn. Yeah, like unicorn, but Dearnicorn. with deer instead of... Yeah. Ah! And Fall of Magic is a map game. Um, but it's it 
has basically no mechanics and you unroll a canvas scroll. Uh, I only have the digital version, unfortunately, and not the beautiful hand-painted canvas version that exists. Oh, wow. See, so, yeah, I see that this this is zero to $120. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it is a really, really beautiful game, and I wish I'd got in on the Kickstarter four years ago mm. when it first came out because uh, I could have got it for slightly cheaper. Unfortunately, mm. shipping to the UK was a killer. Um, but it is, it is a really, really wonderful game, and it's definitely made me change the way i write games basically that that the game is you move your pieces and at each new location there is a question and there are prompts and you do short scenes and it's very very low-key there are no mechanics (laughs) and it's wonderful yeah it's a great game Um, really really worth playing or checking out sounds incredible so are you making a map as you go is that what this is no there's a pre-made map that you follow that is really beautifully hand-painted and very lovingly crafted over i would expect several years of development um huh. it's it's very very nice and there have been various hacks of it since such as fall of electricity which is about the breakdown of grunge into acoustic which is kind of oh. weird uh and various other ones including one which is like set in a cyberpunk racing city which is also quite cool where you're yeah doing kind of a drag race across the city. It's cute. Um, so, yeah, Fall of Magic, that is a very close second place to fate, I would say. Nice. Okay, so let's get into this. So, first of all, tell me about your Short Games Digest. So, the Short Games Digest is um, pretty much the flagship publication of the San Gennaro Co-op, uh, which we'll get into later, but it's a collective of game designers and other cool creators who kind of bandied together to fight for a better pay in the industry. Um, We put out the digest every three months to three and a half months, depending on when we get into the cycle. And it's a collection of eight to 10 small games up to normally 40 pages, occasionally 50 pages, but mostly much shorter, Mm -hmm. not really written around any central theme, not really written around anything, just based on what people want to write, what people think is cool. And yeah, we've had four issues out up to now, and this is number five. And uh, it's the first one that I've led. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We've got a really good combination of very seasoned, well-practiced professionals and really new voices in the industry as well, all of whom are from a really wide variety of backgrounds, both spatially and uh, in terms of diversity, LGBTQ voices, we just have a really fun time together, and it's a really great experience. And also, we sell quite a lot of games, so that's always fun for indie, indie <laughs> voices. Yeah, oh, that's that's incredible. Okay, so you mentioned um, the San Gennaro the San Gennaro Co-op. Yeah. So tell me about the San Gennaro Co-op. Yeah, absolutely. It's a collective of people, as I've said, who kind of join together uh, on a Discord server started by Olivia Hill and Philomena Young, based on the San Gennaro City, which is central to the hashtag I Hunt novels. Mm. And the co-op is a sort of spin-off of that space because everybody was kind of moaning that, you know, oh, indie voices don't get paid enough, indie voices don't get enough exposure. And they were saying, well, what if we kind of joined together and made some cool games together and, like, all of our voices together are kind of louder than individual voices? Mm. 
and some of yeah. those are more popular than others and some of us have a big following olivia hill is the prime example here <laughs> some of us have smaller followings and if we all join together then we can kind of amplify our voices and that is that's what the that's what the co-op's about so there's a lot of different creators we have writers we have artists we have graphic designers um, and editors and we all work together to produce professional ttrpg content mm. so as well as the digest we have a few other projects in the works last year the court kickstarted the role players guide to heists which is a collection of system agnostic heists which you can just plug and play into your games and those are very cool that should be coming out I think probably in the next two or three months, although I'm not totally up to speed with that project. And we have a few other longer games which are produced by the co-op, written by one of our members, such as a shonen battle manga simulation Ooh. RPG. Yeah, it's going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on the editing for that, and that's going to be a, that's going to be a fun game. Yeah, and there's yeah there's other projects that we have out there as well. I'm trying to think of the synopsis of them and kind of not coming up with anything <laughs> but yeah <laughs> we're working on putting out a lot of content and it's only going to improve over time so yeah it's yeah, good it's, it's a great space to be in nice so another thing when uh I, when we were talking about doing the interview you were quick to say like socialism is a huge factor in the co-op can you talk about socialism and how that works with the co-op yeah this is um so it's a big part of what olivia hill's kind of online presence is about is about uh leftism and radicalism and a lot of the people on the server who were attracted to that and kind of wear their own left-wing credentials on their sleeves but in terms of praxis we're really focused on people and on support and on solidarity networks and that's more or less where we're coming from all the all the proceeds from the games go directly to people and to funding new projects we don't kind of have profit that goes to a single person everything is split equally or as per labor put in um we make all of our decisions collectively and the way that we work is completely transparent we don't hide away in small working groups everybody gets to make decisions together and we're pretty happy to basically have anybody contribute to the co-op as long as they follow these rules and help to promote us so in short, we're kind of really only a plot of land short of being a games design commune. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. We have talked about how to get in a commune before, but uh, <laughs> oh. land is expensive. <laughs> Indeed. When you have a San Gennaro Games Digest, are each one of those games like written collectively by everyone? Or is it more like... Each game is written by an individual, but then we have an editor who opts to edit that game. We have artists who um, choose to do the art for it. And we have a few graphic designers who will do the layout and people who will do other work uh, as it's needed, like sensitivity reading and so on. So yeah, we have we have a huge collection of people. Most of the games are just written by individuals who just have cool ideas for games and yeah, go out there and <laughs> write them however short they're gonna be. So yeah, it's, um, it's a group project but an individual design. Nice. That's that's really cool. You were so there is like maybe somebody just volunteers for I I will do the sensitivity reading for this particular game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, sensitivity reading is a kind of special case because like you want somebody who uh, has that experience or knows something about it. So, for instance, mm -hmm. one of the games in the last issue, 
is one about well my game for instance um <laughs> highway 61 is about death and the grieving process and you're on a bus for some reason oh. and it's kind of an elaborate retelling of the ferryman myth hmm. and that game is kind of very emotionally charged and i wanted to make sure that i wasn't going to actively or passively harm people by putting that game out so i said does anyone on the co-op have experience of grievance counseling and lo and behold two people said that they would sensitivity read the game based on that so oh, that's great it is sensitivity reading is, is a special case <laughs> because you, you do need that experience and you want somebody who can like contribute meaningfully to it but um yeah yeah anybody can pretty much volunteer for the stuff that they think they would enjoy doing we have a system where for for example if you want to have some illustrations in your games you write down what you want and our artists look at that list and say oh yeah sure i'd love to draw a bus driver or whatever <laughs> and yeah and then that happens and as a game designer i've got to say that is totally awesome because uh, i've never been able to commission art before so yeah oh nice yeah that's that's really cool so the fact i mean essentially the idea of the group being just like uh, it gets away from capitalism and that you're like it's not like you're giving up profits of ownership or whatever it's just like i want to make no. this game and these other people want to help me make this game yeah the kind of the, the i suppose another part of it is that we never actually uh we don't own your game so a lot of our designers after a few months have then taken the games that they wrote and published them separately and like we're cool with that because that means nice. you know people can people can make make um, their own money that way as well provided we have agreements in place for anybody who did some of the labor on that project then yeah people are welcome to do what they want it's their thing you know they own the intellectual property they own the copyright uh, we're just we're just there to facilitate if you like so nice. yeah we do a lot of work in that space just kind of being nice being decent and open and having really good practice of uh morality that's all yeah that's that is anti-capitalism <laughs> having morality yeah, i hope great. so yeah yeah well maybe <laughs> i mean uh people say that politics is just morality and action and i think that's that's kind of what we're what we're wearing on our sleeve here you know we're just saying we want this we want the ttrpg industry to be fairer and maybe what we're doing is more radical than what other places are doing but there's no reason that it has to be the way that it is and Indie, I think, is a is a really good space where people are very open and honest and share a lot of design practice and a lot of what they want out of the game and what their design process is. And um, I think that's really good. And I think that's hidden away a lot in the more mainstream parts of the industry. So, yeah, the indie space is the perfect place for building these game design communes. Yeah, I mean, I don't like in indie space, I don't think that this is actually like that far off it's just like people are i don't know i saw a meme the other day of like there are people like passing around like sliding these water bottles all together and it's like the same 20 dollars being traded between everybody in the ttrpg community yeah absolutely just commission for everything <laughs> and, uh if this is just this is a more organized version of that yeah that's what a hobby space is i think you know it's people sharing money and funds and you know sometimes people need more and sometimes people can give more and that's great and yeah. yeah, that's how we like to operate anyway. And there aren't that many game design collectives. I think I can name a few which operate in a more kind of cooperative way. I know that Avery Alder was looking to do some work in that space. I know that Make Big Things operate on that basis where they split everything evenly. And I think a lot of other small 
small time designers like um, Sandy Pug Games, for instance, they just like to make sure that people get paid properly for their labor. And I think that's yeah. most of what our practice is about. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, so how big is San Gennaro? All in all, I would say there were probably about maybe 30 people in the corp itself. Um, hmm. It's a bit hard to tell because we have a really big Discord server, which is attached to Olivia Hill's IP anyway, and the corp is a smaller subset of that. So it's kind of hard to tell how many people are in it. <laughs> the, the digest, individual individual digests get maybe 20 to 30 people working on them. So I think 30 is probably wow. a sensible estimate of the limit. <laughs> huh. And is it something where like, you're always accepting new members or is it sort of like grown as much as it needs to grow or? Yeah, we still accept new members. Um, we're getting a lot of new artists at the moment, but we're getting some new design voices coming through too. People perhaps working on one issue as an artist may come back next time and decide they, they've got enough um, skill and you know knowledge of maybe how to write a game now. Or we have people who have no understanding of how the editing process works and we can guide them through that and we can train them up and say, Hey, look, now you can call yourself a copy editor. So we, yeah, we like to do a lot of the kind of support as well that you would expect to get from, from an employer perhaps, but yeah, it's really wholesome. (laughs) I love it. It's a big part of my life. (laughs) It it sounds incredible. Is it something where like, is this still a hobby or is it something you could see yourself moving? Like this is like what I do fully. Mm, I'd love to, but that's never going to happen for me. I can't dedicate enough of my own time to it. It would it would be a big step for mm-hmm. for most people to step away from their nice, comfortable desk jobs like I have as an engineer and move into freelance writing. Um, you would need a lot of side hustles, I think, to make to make ends <laughs> meet in indie yeah. at the moment. So. It's a shame, right? Because, like, yeah, I have the same sort of thing. I'd love to be there, but un- until I can kind of guarantee the income that my family needs, I would never be able to make that jump, which is a real shame. I I would love to, but yeah, yeah. it's too tough. I mean, there are like, even I think in the industry, most people do not make that much money, even in the mainstream. Yeah. So it's it's tough. It's really tough out there, isn't it? <laughs> The most wildly successful people I know that are still like sort of can be still considered indie. That's not their primary source of income. <laughs> no, no, it's absolutely a, it's a not. Shame. Yeah. I mean, a lot of some, some things go a long way towards doing that. Like some indie creators have very, very successful Patreons, for instance, yeah. but I'm sure that they can still not be earning all of their money <laughs> through selling games. Yeah. Is that, is that part of San Gennaro's? Uh, model is to do like Patreon stuff or is it just like 100% in-house? Yeah, we are basically uh, funded entirely by game sales. Um, the I think the idea of Patreon content for for myself and probably I, I can't really speak for the co-op on this because I don't think we've ever discussed it in the past, but it mm-hmm. would be a lot of work to produce content that would be published every month. I mean, currently working yeah. on a quarterly cycle is kind of almost too much. Huh. Uh, certainly, I think if we were obliged to produce meaningful content for our backers every month, I think that would become really stressful. So um, I'm not sure we're going to move into that space. Mm-hmm. But the, the digest is is meant to be there to provide income for us to 
you know, either pay people who contribute or to invest in further projects. So, yeah, it's going really well. And I think we're getting a lot out of it, even if <laughs> even if we're not, you know, making tons and tons of money where we're having a lot of fun and people are learning a lot, which is great. That is great. Okay, well, one more thing that I ask everyone, uh, if you could fix, fixing quotation marks, anything in a game, what would it be? So, have you heard of the Olivia Hill rule? <laughs> the Olivia Hill rule? I have not. Okay, okay. The Olivia Hill rule is something that was first published in Olivia Hill's game, hashtag iHunt. And it is, mm-hmm. basically, it is a rule that says no fascists allowed. And That's it says, a great rule. If you're a fascist, you are not allowed to play this game. If you're wondering whether you're a fascist, you probably are. Mm. So you can't play this game. And and if you do, then we'll know. <laughs> and <laughs> Liv has since put this out and said anybody who wants to put this in their game is absolutely welcome to. And a lot of people have. So I think, really, I would like the Olivia Hill rule to be applied to the TTRPG indie space. And yeah, that's pretty much what I would change. But if if that's too general, then maybe we could just put it on the front of D and D, and that would make me quite happy. So, <laughs> I th- wouldn't. I I believe that it would be was quite fully, something. <laughs> it would if that was fully applied to D and D, the book would cease to be in many ways. You know what I it mean? It would. I, I mean, sales would probably drop, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but it would be a better game. That's for sure. Uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying they have to change any of the politics of D&D. I just want that rule to be put at the front of it. That's all. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do want to change the politics of D&D, but I'm not going to do that from an indie perspective. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, not with that attitude. <laughs> no, absolutely. You know, I, I do. Uh, I try and do some of this. I mean, it's it's quite difficult to maybe talk about it from the perspective I have, which is as a relatively privileged person. But mm. uh, I try to promote the work of marginalized people i try to not make my games actively hurtful or disrespectful to people and i do my best to decolonialize narratives and i don't think that's hard to do as a designer and like if you're not doing that you're kind of just being a bit of an asshat really i mean i don't have a i don't have a better a better way of putting it it's not difficult to not produce problematic content So, yeah, that's that's pretty much all I would ask of games in general. But specifically, yeah, if we could just put the Olivia Hill rule on more games, then I'd be happy. Great. I I believe I have that's uh, no fascist allowed is a is a good title. I think I'm going to put that as the title (laughs) of this episode. (laughs) Oh, yeah, that would make me really happy. Yeah, great. (laughs) I mean, it probably doesn't make me any friends, but, you know, (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Uh, you you might be surprised with that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll put this out, and I'll be like, "Oh, I've lost ten percent of my followers." Oh well. <laughs> your all your fascist followers. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I probably don't have that many. I mean, my my <laughs> colors are very very clearly on my profiles. So. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, well, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? Uh, I didn't say when the digest would be out, so it should be out um, towards the middle slash end of June. So. Oh, great. Uh, in the next few weeks uh, and then every three months thereafter. What else am I promoting? Uh, myself. You can listen to Yes Indeed Pod wherever you find your podcasts um, or you can follow the links on my Twitter page, which is where I do all of my emotional rambling to the community. And that's Excellent. at 
I am Fofos, which is I-A-M-P-H-O-P-H-O-S. No doubt the link will be in the show description. <laughs> and yes. you can also find me, uh, well, no, that's that's pretty much entirely where you can find me. You can't find me anywhere else. <laughs> I'm in the process of putting it together an indie zine, as yet untitled, Cool. which may be out at the end of July which is quite a long way away and also not very long away. So that's going to be interesting to see where we go with that. And well, just follow yeah. you and then the listener will know when it happens. Absolutely. Follow me is, you know, that's just the advice I would give in general. I'm, I'm pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Uh, well. 33 minutes and 35 seconds of relevant research that I've done <laughs> suggests that is the case. I'm sure you've done slightly more research than that. Uh, that's probably true. <laughs> we had quite a long conversation prior to recording. That's fair. So, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, um, so, yes, that's where you can find me, and that's when, when all my stuff is is out. Uh, I do have an itch page, uh, I guess, which is Blue Golem Games, um, mm. possibly changing in the near future. So, yeah, if you can go there if you want to find my small games, which are very small and very weird. <laughs> and... Yeah, that's pretty much it. That's incredible. Thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me again. Um, I'm always very happy to come and talk to people about the co-op because it's, yeah, it's a huge part of my life. I love it. It sounds very incredible. I'm eager to keep following it. Oh, cool. Thank you. Mark Shepard. You can follow their work on Twitter at IamFofos. You can also check out the San Gennaro Co-op at San Gennaro Co-op. I've also got a bunch of other links to stuff we talked about in the show notes, so just check all that out. Your homework this week is to think about what role you would have if you were in a co-op. Maybe even start one, you know? Like, work with some people. It doesn't take that much. Just, I mean, it probably does take a lot, but I mean, it doesn't take much to work with someone else. Share your experiences, share what you can do, and create something great. And then tweet it to me, at Logan Jenkins. If you want to hear more from me, check out Very Random Encounters, a podcast where some friends and I play tabletop role-playing games and randomize as much as is possible. Game Mechanics is part of The Orange Groves. Check out theorangegroves.com to support this and other great shows on the network. And until your next checkup, that'll be 2750. Bye.